episode 2108 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Relia Fangraphs, and I am joined by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, I feel like I just caught myself mid-fall in the midst of my intro. (laughs) That's how I describe it. I was like, no, I'm going to still go to see if she falls down. And you know what? Steered out of the skid, feel steered into the skid. I steered in a way that did not result in a crash. I heard the the slight falter (laughs) mid-Fangraphs. And I thought, is she going to make no, it? I, I was like, no, I'm going to keep. Like a and I high keep wire artist uh, teetering back yep. and forth and then high ultimately avoiding the fall. Is that what <laughs> yeah. they are? Are they artists? <laughs> yeah. Athletes? They're, they're doing stuff on wires. We worry for them, as do their moms. Um, ben, <laughs> yeah. how are you? Well, I'm I'm excited because uh, old friend Sam Miller is rejoining us yeah. on this episode today. We're going to yep. talk about what we will remember 2023 by in baseball. I know we're almost a week into 2024, but we can Tracking. still look back at yeah. what will last, what will stay with us about 2023. It's an exercise yep. that Sam performs every year. Every Great, year. as always, thought-provoking. So we will provoke some thoughts and express some of our thoughts shortly. But we had to postpone Sam slightly because some news broke shortly before we were going to speak to Sam. Yes. And even though we just had the intro theme to this episode, I think we have to play another little ditty here. We have to roll out Michael Bauman to play What Did Jerry DePoto Do? What did Jerry DePoto do? What did Jerry DePoto do? We're going to talk to Meg Rowley about a trade or two. Because what did Jerry DePoto do? He did a lot. He did a lot. Well, we know he did for sure one big a lot. And there mm-hmm. is a potentially looming further a lot to be mm-hmm. had here. That's yeah. not been confirmed yet. But one yeah. of the a lots has had a press release attributed yes. to it. So that one, that's a that's a done a lot, you know? Yes. He's done a lot. So the one trade that has been confirmed, the Mariners have traded Robbie Ray. And his tight, tight pants. <laughs> and his tight, tight pants. To the Giants for Mitch Haniger and mm-hmm. Anthony DiScalfani. Yep. And then the possible second trade that yep. is being worked on. And look, if Jerry's working on a trade. It's probably almost done. Yeah, yep. I, I believe he can complete yep. it, but may have been completed by the time you're hearing this. But yes. as we are recording, yep. it is uh, conditional that the Mariners and Rays working on a trade that right. would send Jose Caballero Cabe. to the Rays and would send Luke Rayleigh back to Seattle. Yep. Yeah. Out of nowhere. I guess that that's typically how a, a Jerry DePoto trade or trades works. Yeah. Uh, just uh, drops on us all yeah. at once, often on a holiday or the eve of a holiday, but in this yeah. case, shortly after one. So yeah. what do you make of this Mariner move or Mariner's moves? Here's the thing I'm going to tell you, Ben. Yeah. I like it. Wow. I like it a lot. You know, I like <laughs> yeah. it. Now, 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 I want to preface this analysis by saying, could the Mariners have done more? Yeah. Could yeah. they continue to do more? Yeah. Should <laughs> they continue to do more? <laughs> yes. But 
Are they better right now than they were <laughs> this morning? I think that they are, Ben. And I mm-hmm. think that they're better in like a way that's uh, kind of important. So I'm here to say this. Good job, Jerry. You know? Wow. I got to hand <laughs> it to you. I'm handing it. I'm handing it to you. And it is praise. Wow. Handing it right over. I would like to note. One thing that will amuse maybe only me, but that was remembered by friend of the podcast and friend of both of us, mm-hmm. Mike Farron, which is that yeah. Jordan Schusterman is on his honeymoon. And before he left, he tweeted about how he expected to come back to either no moves or a lot of moves. And I said <laughs> that he was daring Jerry to do yeah. a move. And you know what Jerry did? He did a lot of moves, potentially mm-hmm. even more moves than we are sure he has done as of today. But yeah, you cannot dare Depoto. No, will, don't dare him. He, he will, will take that. Yeah, he will take the dare every time. Every mm-hmm. time he's going to take a dare. He he is, and I I in this particular instance mean this in a praising way. He is the jackass of GMs, and I don't mean like he is a jackass. I mean he is like the show jackass. Yeah, where they are like. Let's go do some stuff, you know? Will mm-hmm. it hurt? Sometimes, yeah. Will it be uh, always something we look back on with pride? No. But will we make people laugh sometimes? Yeah, we will do that. And today, <laughs> I mean it in a, I'm in a good mood. I don't know, man. Robbie Ray and his tight, tight pants mm-hmm. were only maybe going to help the 2024 Seattle Mariners. And yeah. I think, and I mean this as a compliment to Robbie Ray and his representation, I think that Robbie Ray wrote one Really good year in those tight tight pants into a bigger deal than his production necessarily merited. Mm-hmm. It happened to be with the Seattle Mariners, who, as we have said several times this offseason, do not have, well, have decided they do not have unlimited resources to continue to sign big league players. And so it is too strong to call his contract an albatross, both because it is not big enough for that. And because when he comes back from Tommy John surgery, I expect that Robbie Ray will be a productive big leaguer, if not quite uh, as good a big leaguer as that. Mm-hmm. One good season or this contract entailed. But here's the thing. He wasn't going to help the 2024 Mariners until maybe midseason. And the Mariners, as we have noted, are very good at developing pictures and helping pitchers improve. And they have a really good rotation. They had a really good rotation without Robbie Ray, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now they have satisfied at least one of their big, big needs, which was a corner outfielder. Is it hilarious that the corner outfielder <laughs> that they have is literally Mitch Haniger? It is indeed hilarious, Ben. Because I don't know if people remember this, but Mitch Haniger has previously been a Mariner. Yep. He has been, at times, um, for them, he was a quite productive Mariner. He was an oft-injured Mariner. But when he was on the field, he was generally productive and useful to their team. I think that having him in the lineup lengthens it considerably. I think that if they complete this trade uh, with the Rays for Luke Rayleigh that further deepens their lineup. Do I imagine that Luke Rayleigh is necessarily going to be, you know, the 130 WRC plus player that he was in 406 plate appearances with the Rays last year? I mean, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I think that he is, um, I think he's a good big leaguer. I think he's Sorry, no offense. I think that both of them are better than Taylor Trammell and Cade Marlowe, even mm-hmm. though Cade Marlowe, I'm just like, what a cool name. Like, a, that's like a spooky season name, Cade yeah. Marlowe. Like, doesn't he sound like a villain in an Edgar Allan Poe 
yeah, story. Or, like, or I mean, like not a in a nice private way. eye. Right? Oh, yeah, it just like a private makes me eye. Think that's... of Philip Marlowe, but yeah, that's... Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're doing a little auditory approximation there, but I, I'm <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. So mm-hmm. I think that having, um, we'll just assume for the purposes of this conversation that by the time people hear this, yes, Hanniger and Luke Rayleigh will be members of the Seattle Mariners organization. I think that uh, Hanniger, Rayleigh, Julio outfield is a meaningful upgrade from the Trammell, Julio, Cade Marlowe uh, outfield. And even if all of those guys aren't either as good as they were last year, remain healthy, which are questions that we can have for both of them. There's like just considerably more depth here than there was uh, 24 hours ago in a way that I think is good and makes mm-hmm. them better. And they did it by trading a player in Robbie Ray, who wasn't really going to probably be a huge, huge help to them in this season anyway. Whatever they get out of Di Scalfani is sort of like, you know, extra from my mm-hmm. perspective. Like, that's a nice thing. They do clear some room beyond 2024, the way that this trade uh, is going to work is that like it, from a 2024 payroll perspective, they are, I think, basically perfectly balanced um, versus where they were at the beginning of the day where San Francisco is sending a little money to Seattle. And so between Hanager and De Scalfani, you know, with the 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 ray of it all, like it all kind of offsets. Uh, but they, you know, they have some additional pay- payroll flexibility going forward. Yeah. Wouldn't um, be which a Mariners not, trade without cash considerations right, being like, involved. And like, whatever, that part doesn't matter. So much to me, but like in terms of the improvement of the big league roster for 2024, this feels like it uh, has accomplished that goal. And that hasn't necessarily been, to my mind, the primary motivation behind some of their other moves this offseason, particularly in the trade market. And so I appreciate that being uh, a focus here. And while they haven't had really great position player depth, like moving Caballero, like they have a couple of those guys, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. like that kind of depth is something that they have a fair amount of on the roster. Um, And so I think that they will, you know, not miss Cabby, although, and he has not responded because he is a professional who I am sure is busy, but I will say that I did message Jeff and ask if this is simply so that he can get a death cab for Caballero <laughs> promo of his very own. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't confirm that, but I think we can assume that this was this trade maybe had that um, mm-hmm. side benefit in mind. So I like it. Uh, again, we'll close with the same thought I opened with, which is like, I hope that the Mariners continue to do more to improve their big league chances for the coming season. I continue to invite John Stanton to remember just how much money he has individually and how that money could be deployed to make his club better if he decided he cared to. But within the confines that they have been given, I think that this, uh, like I said, makes their roster for the coming season appreciably better. And to that I say... Good job, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, this is Feels refreshing, weird, man. Yeah, yeah this I is, feel unsettled. <laughs> this is unfamiliar yeah, feeling. I don't know. <laughs> a positive reaction to a Mariners yeah, like move. We, we haven't had one of these and in a while. And I don't want to overstate things, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that this move takes them from being, you know, like where they were in the West to like the best team in the American League. I don't 
think that this makes them the best team in their division. But when you look at this roster now, all of a sudden, you know, your lineup has like, it has some JP Crawford and it has some Julio and it has Mitch Garver and it has Mitch Hanniger. We just love Mitch's. It has Cal Raleigh and maybe has uh, Luke Rayleigh. Like there is, uh, this is a considerably better starting group than Mm -hmm. uh, it was 24 hours ago, assuming that they get the Rayleigh piece done. And I'm happy to be able to say that because I hate having to keep telling my dad, um, so about your expectations. Mm-hmm. And now he can, um, you know, he can raise them a little bit in a way that I think is good. So yep. that's good. I continue to invite Jerry to think about the timing of his transactions and what's going on with that. But <laughs> that's not my business. I understand this move less from San Francisco's perspective in terms of mm-hmm. the um, like super great appeal of Robbie Ray, but they had a lot of outfield surplus um, and they deepened that outfield surplus when they brought in Jung-Hoo Lee. So yeah, it just became, what if we made the whole team out of outfielders? So right. is, And so yeah. now they're like, what if we made the whole team out of some outfielders and also Robbie Ray and his tie tie pants? Mm-hmm. So that's a different question than at the beginning of the day. And so, okay, good. Yep. Yeah, so we'll see whether Ray recovers from the flexor tendon and UCL reconstruction repair, I guess. Not a distinguished career in Seattle. That was uh, not how anyone wanted it to go. (laughs) I think, as someone in our Discord group pointed out, his last three Mariners appearances, he gave up the Jordan walk-off and then the last two outs of the one nothing 18-inning loss and then had elbow surgery after three more innings. So it didn't go great. (laughs) But maybe it'll go better in San Francisco. And... I guess the Rays are maybe sort of selling high on Rayleigh. I, I know that he was a little bit of a ex-WOBA batted sure. ball quality overperformer. Yes. But then again, Caballero really right. sort of sank right. as the season went on, yep. right? The second half, the post-All-Star break, the last few months were pretty rough. Whether yep. that uh, means the league catching up to him or not, I don't know. But yeah, it didn't, didn't end as well as it started. So yep. maybe they're both sort of moving on before things get worse, but I guess each thinks that they'll be better off with the one they're getting, or at least that it'll better fill their positional needs. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Jerry gave us some excitement today, and I also saw an amusing tweet by Andrew Baggerly that uh, apparently there was a a no-trade clause that Robbie Ray had is this right, that he had a no-trade clause in 2022 and 2023 that then converted to a yeah. $1 million trade assignment bonus in yes. 2024? Yeah, <laughs> and I think Mitch had a trade assignment bonus of a $1 million also. Okay, so... And so this is part of the cash, like, perfectly offsetting. <laughs> I see, but yeah. but he waited, I guess, like, yep. less than a week after the yep. no-trade clause didn't apply to trade him. Yeah, that <laughs> seems like it is true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you better get yourself a no-trade clause if you're going to go play for Seattle. I mean, assuming you, if you don't want to like get traded. there and want to stay there. Right. Yeah. I'll <laughs> say this. Maybe you want to not have a no-trade clause. That was a disjointed way to say maybe you don't want to prioritize that in the the contract because sometimes it sounds like people enjoy leaving Seattle. So maybe you want to leave your options open. Well, I yeah, hope Mitch Hanniger didn't enjoy leaving Seattle. And now he's like, just when I thought yeah. I was out. <laughs> yeah, know? they pull me back in. Is this 
this continues a proud, and I'm doing air quotes here, tradition of Mariners GMs, like maybe kind of kidnapping a guy who doesn't want to be in the org anymore, <laughs> question mark, because Jack Z, like they made an offer to Kendris Morales and and Kendrys was like, no. And then they were like, how about a qualifying offer? And he was like, once again, no. And then he didn't sign until like June in 2014 because, you know, he had the qualifying offer as like this millstone around his neck. So he signs with Minnesota and then, and then, and then he got traded. He got <laughs> traded to the Mariners. And so I was like, Jack, are you kidnapping this guy? Is this a kidnapping situation? Yeah. It's like taken. <laughs> we have talked about that apparent tendency for Pobo's GMs when they go to a new team. Sometimes they acquire they get all their guys, guys from, yeah, yeah, like David Stern's uh, trading for Adrian Hauser or others, right? That that happens yes. sometimes. But in some cases, maybe both parties are, are willing. In others, maybe it's like, I can't get away from this guy, but you do right. not control your own fate right. as a professional athlete. So if some Pobo fixates on you and decides that he really wants you on your team, then he could just keep Going and getting you, even if you escape for a while, unless you get a no-trade clause that uh, you can prevent that from happening. But hopefully, Mitch Haneker is uh, happy to be back, or at least not yeah. upset to be back. So Yeah. I mean, like, people like Mitch Haneker. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard R Ryan Divish describe him as boring in, like, a nice way, because he just, like, plays baseball and does baseball, you know? Yep. Again, like, would we bet the over- on how many games he'll play like no we <laughs> wouldn't do that but you know when he plays when he plays ben he's good he's mm -hmm. a good baseball player you know does he always play no but like um I, and i don't want to know more about some of the injuries again mm -hmm. now i have to think about this again but like yep. i think it good i like it i think mm -hmm. it's good okay well, okay. happy for you that you can feel happy about some Mariners moves. It's a, it's a nice change. And yeah. and when we talked on our last episode about teams that needed to do something, that the pressure mm -hmm. was on, that to satisfy their fans, they had to finish the offseason strong. I think you you mentioned the Mariners yeah. almost. But I uh, moved on very quickly. Yes. <laughs> but we talked fast. about a bunch of other teams. Yep. Uh, I, I guess the Giants were one of those teams. Yep. I don't know whether this gets them closer to satisfying fans, but they did something. And then we talked about the Mets and mm -hmm. we talked about the Cubs, maybe most of all, and the Blue Jays, et cetera, et cetera. It dawned on me afterward that maybe we could have mentioned the Orioles and mm. the Twins. Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't considered them maybe because they've set expectations so low. That's the thing. Like, you know, if the Red Sox come out and say, oh, we're going full throttle, then you expect them to do something. I just never really even expect that the Orioles will do anything until proven otherwise, right? So, I mean, they they have a good team, I guess, without doing anything. So maybe that takes the pressure off them somewhat. But also, yeah. they really just haven't done much of anything except adding Craig Kimbrell, which is possibly subtraction by addition. Who knows? It's not uh, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. So, and you know, meanwhile, a, a few players moved on: Gibson and Flaherty and Hicks and Frazier, etc. So, you know, they've been squarely in the okay. Are we going to spend at some point? Are we going to trade some of these excellent young players we have uh, to shore up some positions where we have needs? And they haven't shown that they are willing to do that yet. So. I would say some pressure is on them or should be on them. They certainly have 
oodles of, of payroll room yeah. to make upgrades with. And they, yeah. as good as they are, still have areas to upgrade. So, yeah. And the twins like also much of their rotation. Yes, exactly. And the twins also were one of the teams that was like eh, probably going to trim payroll. Yeah. And so, yeah, I didn't think of them initially because I was thinking of teams that had talked a big game or right. at least like seemed likely to do things. I wasn't thinking so much as uh, teams that maybe should or could do things, but were less likely to. But right. yeah, those uh, came to my mind belatedly. And yeah. The Mariners, uh, they did some stuff, too. So that's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we will take a quick break, and we will be back to talk to Sam Miller about what we will remember from 2023. But wait, before we take that break, here I am again in the slightly less distant past over the sweet strains of what would Jerry DePoto do to confirm that he did, in fact, complete the Caballero for Rayleigh trade. Caballero's got a good glove. He could play all over the field or perhaps at shortstop. And then the Rays turned right around and showed that Jerry DePoto isn't the only one who can make multiple trades in the same day. They sent Andrew Kittredge to the Cardinals for Richie Palacios. Maybe that's not quite as exciting, but here's something exciting. Sam Miller coming right up. Jerry DePoto do? We're gonna talk to Meg Rally about a trade or two. Is what did Jerry DePoto do? What All right, we are rejoined by Sam Miller, co-founder of Effectively Wild, former host of Effectively Wild, current author of the Pebble Hunting Substack. Hello, Sam. Welcome back. Hi, Ben. Thank you. How's the newsletter life suiting you? Hmm. Uh, boy, what a complicated question. That is, <laughs> that is an outrageously complicated question. Yeah, I guess it's, it's not your standard greeting that you can answer without thinking about. But. I, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy it and it suited me very well. I'm a person who feels a real void when I don't have an authority figure in like my life or in the world. So there is something sort of, uh, like I constantly feel like I'm trying to find where the ground is. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, is it unsettling at times? Mm -hmm. uh, does it suit my lifestyle and creative brain uh, as well? Yes. And has the uh, response been gratifying and fulfilling? Very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems nice to just write when you have something to write about. And uh, to only write about things that you're interested in writing about. <laughs> Those seem like good things. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, you just wrote about one of those things, which is a thing that you write about every year for the past several, which is what we will remember the past year in baseball by. And you've been doing this every year since 2017. And I guess you were wrong right off the bat, mm. although it wasn't really your fault. Because 2017 <laughs> is the sign-stealing year now, mm. which you could not have known in 2017. So I think I that, could have. It was actually, in I retrospect, it was have. very it, obvious. You, you I don't know how it. we didn't know it. It was yeah, super-duper obvious. Yeah. yeah, you didn't I mean, listen like closely random, enough. Yeah, like random White Sox relievers noticed it. Why didn't yeah. we? Yeah. I, I watched true. more Astros baseball than the White Sox did. I should have figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that the year of Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve, because one was very big and one was very small, and they were both very <laughs> good at baseball, that has since been supplanted by side stealing. But can I can I just real real yeah. quick interrupt about that? Because I think I actually specifically said maybe I think I specifically said it was the year of the Altuve Aaron Judge picture. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. 
Okay. Where well, they're on the base. And uh, but I might not have, but I think I might have. And uh, on a slight tangent, mm-hmm. well, we're going to, I don't know, on a slight tangent, we're going to talk about, I think, how uh, Shohei Otani was this like breakout phenomenon, but also in some ways was not because he didn't really escape the baseball world all that much. Um, and one exception to that is that he was the AP Male Athlete of the Year, which yeah. I thought, oh, wow, okay. So he was the AP Male Athlete of the Year. That's a pretty big deal. And then I noticed that, in fact, five of the last 10 AP Male Athlete of the Year were baseball players, which, huh. like, what is going on at the AP? Like, no, they weren't. <laughs> Come on. There have not been five baseball players in the last 10 years that were the Global Athlete of the Year. Not a chance. Wait, and one it, of them. Was it Otani a few times? or Otani yeah. twice. Otani okay. only twice. But, and Judge. Uh, uh, judge, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then Madison Bumgarner in 2014. <laughs> huh. And well, and then. Um, that's weird. And then, but then the reason that we're bringing this up, and Jose Altuve in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone about how that happened. And I said, it's the picture. He was in the picture. <laughs> yeah, the picture's still pretty big. You still see the picture all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's big and small. It's me. That's why we like the picture. Yeah. yeah. But that was a weird case in that what turns out to have been the biggest story of that year didn't surface until two years later, which I guess happens from time to time, usually related to cheating scandals, but that's not the norm. So how good do you think you are at this? (laughs) Aside from that case where the thing that turns out to be the biggest story wasn't even reported in that year, which is, again, unusual, do you think you're good at assessing while a year is still happening what the biggest story of that year was? Or uh, if you were to go back, like, yeah. what, what's your, your hit rate, do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, no, like, I was really good at the 20th century. Like, I'm looking at that <laughs> list, and I nailed them, all of mm-hmm. them. Uh, very little has changed about how we remember the 1938 season. I got yeah. that one right. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, I think pretty pretty bad it's either super obvious or i did pretty bad i still get people well anytime i deign to mention the 2021 giants i still get people going uh shohei otani was a bigger story that year uh Mm -hmm. like because i had said that i thought that it could be that nl west race that turns out to not be a popular opinion and uh, probably not an, an accurate one so what else have i said do you did you check no, <laughs> but, but I, I did do you wonder. want me to prep for this <laughs> segment where I didn't know what question you were going to ask I, me first? I did not prep you to answer that question, but I just wonder whether you need the historical perspective or whether we're actually pretty good at telling. Maybe we need a bigger sample because you've only been doing this for six or seven years. But should we I, should we re, should we go back? I mean, can yeah. someone edit this well, so yeah. that it's not quite a horrible slog if we just go back and figure out what I said? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, my 2008 pick is awful. My 2008 pick is obviously I, wrong. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, yeah, that was Barry Bonds got blackballed. Right? No, no. I, sorry, sorry. I meant 2018. Oh, 2018. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I was going to say that, in yeah. my mind, at least 2008 is the first year pitch FX, but I don't know that that, that is true for, for many other people. But 2018, what was your pick that year? Uh, the Supreme Court ruling that gambling Sports gambling was legal, basically legal, mm. um, you know, in any state that wanted it to be. Well, oh, I think that that's would... a great pick. It's a it's a very it's the most consequential thing that happened that yeah. year. Other than, you know, 
I mean, maybe other than other things like Otani debuted, but is sure. it known? Like, does anybody know that that yeah. ruling came out? If you out? had asked me what year that happened, I would not have known. Yeah, I knew. Uh, so okay, so maybe that is the right answer, and I got it. And it was the right answer to me, Sam. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. All right, I because I knew I'm haunted by sports gambling every day. Every day, <laughs> I feel like there's a ghost, and it just keeps running around my office. 2019, I said juiced ball. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. The question at the time was always, will we remember 2019 as the juiced ball year, or will we will remember like maybe 2017, uh, which was another peak juice ball season, or maybe 2015 when the juice ball debuted midway through, or will mm-hmm. we remember the whole the whole five year period, four year period? But I think juice ball. There's a lot of home run things that year that happened, yeah. and otherwise. Unless it, the Astros, yeah, the, the story broke. breaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a pretty big deal, yeah. Um, then twenty twenty was obvious, so yeah, no credit for that. And then twenty twenty one, I, I said the NL West race, and others said the. I, I think I was actually on this show, and I also may have said the Otani MVP, his first, his first like sort of full flourish season, mm-hmm. Um, which is reasonable. But I do going. Back to what I wrote and what we'll probably talk about. I do think players, you know, time compresses. And I think that players do tend to get remembered for uh, a season or like a sort of a, you know, like how biopics these days, they no longer, that they, they now they focus on one, like, yeah. like Steve Jobs, like giving the presentation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, players, I think, tend to get remembered for one burst, one season. And I think that 23 has definitely surpassed 21. And so 21 kind of fades a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I still don't, I don't know if the, the NL West race, I mean, maybe I that know. was definitely, it was not good. <laughs> was one of the most enjoyable storylines of the season, even for someone who's not a Giants fan. But like if they had ended up winning the World Series, maybe, but. I think I'm, I think that the fact that both teams were immediately eliminated, like as quickly yeah. as they could yeah. be upon facing yeah. each other, <laughs> made it better. I, I have a very, I mean, you know, I have a very, a specific relationship to that season. That is the season I will remember over yeah. all other baseball things in life, except for 2015 Pacific Association. So <laughs> uh, I have, uh, I just don't have the necessary distance from that mm-hmm. season. I think it, it it's justified. I could write, you know, I could write a defense of it, but people don't feel that way. And so I'm wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah, this uh, is I kind think, of about how yeah. other people feel. That's <laughs> so, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know where I said 2022, my thought about 2022. And I don't know that I remember. Oh, well, yeah. Aaron Judge hit 61 home yeah. runs probably was the thing. Well, I think that's pretty much right. Other than, I guess, again, 2017, maybe, which wasn't your fault, <laughs> really. So, yeah. That's pretty good. Although, I guess if we revisited this in another five or 10 years, maybe we would have changed our minds by then. But the thing that you started this year's edition with was your realization that normies won't remember anything about baseball this year, which was kind of a, a depressing to me way to start this, I guess. And also different from my how I felt and maybe also different from how you felt until 
very recently because it seemed like this was prompted by you were listening to two year-end wrap-ups, one on Jeopardy. How, which is how a, I get my news. Yeah. <laughs> which is about <laughs> That's as, how I put my finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, as mainstream a, a source as you could come up with and then hang up and listen, which is more for sports diehards. And neither of them mentioned a baseball story in their highlight reels of things that happened in 2023. And so you said that this was the year when it just finally dawned on you that there's no crossover potential for baseball anymore, that it just doesn't make much of an impression on anyone who is not already in the tent and a baseball fan, which was sort of sad to me. I don't know that it needs to be sad, but you have talked before, I remember on the podcast, just about how you think there needs to be a certain critical mass of people caring about something, right, in order for you to care about it or for you to enjoy it as much as you can, right? Like you need to have a feeling that it matters in a larger sense, that it's it's not purely something you care about, right? Or that it that enhances things at least, if there's a sense that there's kind of a larger cultural interest in a topic. Am I am I imagining this? No, no, that's right. I mean there's yeah. I think that so there's a um there's a concept called mimetic desire that says basically that humans are the only species that needs to be told what to desire. And we basically take our cues from other people's interests, other people's desires, tastes, etc. So I do think that like a lot of, I mean, I don't think a lot of, I think like literally every thought that we have is socially constructed. And so the when the social construction changes around uh, an idea or a topic or uh, whatever, then so too do our relationships to it. And baseball, yeah, I, th I think that it isn't that you you need to have it be football. It doesn't need to be the monoculture for you to love it. We love all sorts of things that are kind of niche uh, niche tastes or sort of siloed off. In some cases, we love them more because we feel like they are ours and that we aren't sharing them with our grandparents uh, or whatever. But it changes things. And I think that uh, there are a handful of institutions or uh, topics or I don't know, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but where even if you're not into them, you feel a social pressure to be up on them, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to be kind of uh, aware, like they're part of the, the national story and you're, you don't want to be left out. Yeah. And so you're, you're sort of following it. And I kind of came to the conclusion this year that baseball has, has left that uh, it is no longer that it uh, football is that, and maybe maybe the NBA is that, and certain other things. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is a great example, but baseball is not that it used to be, and it's not that anymore. I, and as I wrote, I don't think that that means that baseball is failing in any uh, in any way uh, as an enterprise. It, there's plenty of energy on this planet to grow lots of food for us all. Uh, it's just that like we are a, we are now an isolated planet. Things do not escape our planet. They just, we, we live for us. We watch baseball <laughs> for us. And uh, it's a little bit of a shift, I think, that probably has ramifications that I haven't fully thought through. I just thought that was a surprising year to have right, that yes. epiphany in because well, to me- Well, that's why I, that's why right, I had yeah. the epiphany. Yeah. Right. It was this year <laughs> I guess particular. that's true. Yeah. I guess- I just felt like this was 
the year that that was least the case for for baseball in the past several at least. And I guess you're saying that if that's the case and it still failed to make an impression, then that's why you you realize that we finally reached that point. But I guess I'm I'm also sort of just taking issue with the highlight reel makers in omitting baseball. Cause I feel like just of the examples that you mentioned that were mentioned on Jeopardy, for instance, like a Jake Paul boxing match yeah. or Novak Djokovic winning three grand slam titles, which, you know, that's big global news, but in the U S specifically, I wouldn't say that that's bigger news than, I mean, baseball rules changes were a big story this year in the U S I think they were like, yeah, a, pretty big mainstream crossover story that even people who don't care about baseball heard about and yeah. maybe cared about to some extent. I know that like people were asking me about it anecdotally or I was doing interviews or whatever about Shohei Otani or about rules changes, things like that more so. Like the WBC obviously was big on a worldwide scale, but maybe didn't crack the US sports consciousness beyond baseball that much. But the rules changes specifically, and Otani to some extent too. I mean, I think those should be on <laughs> those lists. Uh, maybe it's just that rules changes is sort of a diffuse thing. It's not like that all happened one day and it was a single day story. It was a season long story. But in terms of like cumulative magnitude of that, I think that was a crossover mainstream story. So um, I... Um, just disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I don't disagree. I mean, they either, it would have been perfectly like I, if, if baseball had been mentioned in those roundups, I wouldn't have thought it was weird, but you know, the fact is that they weren't. And there is, I do think that it is to us. We have that a little bit of that Pauline kale quote about how everyone we know, uh, Mm -hmm. follows baseball. So what do you mean baseball is not popular? Uh, which is not what she was talking about. She was talking about, I think, Nixon. Anyway, uh, what was I saying about Nixon? Were we talking about Nixon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or is our, our perception skewed because like people oh, talk yeah, so, to us about so, baseball stuff? So, uh, so let me just tell you this, that the New Yorker in late 2021 profiled Jake Paul as a boxer and mm. The New Yorker, I think since then, has had one baseball piece in their pages, in their magazine, and it was about the yips, which is not exactly like, oh, I mean, right. that's like a yeah. pretty New Yorker, that's like a pretty esoteric New Yorker topic yeah. to write about. And so, uh, you're probably underestimating how many more people you know, or you are eating at the diner, who are aware of Jake Paul's boxing career. And then under it, I mean, the rules, come on, like the rule, nobody who doesn't follow baseball cared about the rules i don't think um yeah, i don't I, think i don't think i think, I, I think, I think they, they cared i think they cared but i think you're right that the fact that it was this like persistent sort of everyday shift in the way that people consumed baseball and experienced baseball was the difference like if the biggest baseball thing had been something that happened in the world series i think that makes the highlight real but like mm -hmm. yeah the rangers won a world series and that you know that hadn't happened before but it wasn't uh, uh, an individual event. It was sort of the thing you had to pay attention to every day. And then the thing about the rule changes is, like, as you know, like, they happened and they weren't 
they were a lot, but they also weren't anything, right? Like it didn't change the strategy of the game in a fundamental way. It didn't, you know, have any of the big potential side effects that we were thinking it might. It just like made things zip along better and faster. And so we didn't see it anymore because we were like trained not to, right? We forgot about the pitch clock. So mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. that's a big part of it too. Like it speaks to the success of the thing, but also is part of why it maybe faded from people's notice. So yeah. that's my theory. Yeah, I don't underestimate Jake Paul's fame. Like, I think Jake Paul's probably better known than any baseball player. We should but- never <laughs> underestimate how many YouTubers are known to how many people because you, you're you shocked every time. You look at the yeah. numbers and you're like, how many people follow this guy? Like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah, that boxing match specifically, I think 450,000 people watched or at least paid to watch, which is just... That's a lot. How it, much did they pay? Like six dollars? What does it, it cost? It, it generated twenty-seven million dollars in revenue, I guess. What? So. Sixty bucks is what it says. The PPV price for Paul versus Diaz is fifty-nine ninety-nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, can I? Sorry, can I be distracted by Jake Paul for a second? So, like, how? <laughs> what percentage of that audience is? I'm gonna do a swear. Just like really hoping to see him get the sh- kicked out of him, though. Like, what is the what is the <laughs> ha- hater looking audience for something like that? I don't think it's that big i think really? he's I, I i don't know this i don't know anything about this except yeah. for a magazine article i read two years ago but i think he's kind of affable and he has taken it seriously and sort of like earned some grudging respect wow that's terrible i mean he is literally i mean he is putting himself out there to get hurt like like yeah. he's he is risking it and he is yeah. he keeps going back i i think there's a anyway i said what yeah, i had anyway. to say yeah wow no i i think you might be right i don't disagree i mean i don't share that view not with you but anyway yeah, yeah. The, the new yorker by the way had a, a cover that was pitch clock centric at yeah. least I, yeah. I don't know if, if there was a story that went with it but there was a, a cover with a an umpire holding up a clock in his hand that's so right there's that but yeah. yeah i don't know i mean jake paul's more famous for non-boxing related reasons i guess i don't know how many mm. people would pay to watch him 60 bucks out of spite so probably the people paying maybe were actually interested in him for other reasons but i just i don't know that that I mean, I'm sure it was a bigger story in in some segments of the population than baseball's pitch clock was, but I just, I don't know, that that, that or Djokovic or whatever really was bigger on the whole. I don't know. Maybe my perception is skewed, but this was clearly the year that baseball was a bigger crossover story than it had been in some time. So if your conclusion is that even when it's at its biggest, it's just not that big, then I, I understand that. It theoretically would have been at its biggest crossover status in quite some mm-hmm. time. But right. I'm not sure that it was. And I'm just to be clear, I'm not like rooting for this. I'm yeah. sure. defending defending the thesis uh, yeah. to some degree, but I'm not like trying to convince everybody. Um, well, I am a little. Um, <laughs> and, and like in some ways as well, like we got, uh, I lost the crossover, uh, the feeling that baseball was a crossover sport this year to some degree. But we did also gain a real recognition. I think, I don't know, maybe... Uh, some people knew this from previous WBCs, but uh, there was a real sense that that our sport is an international phenomenon in ways yeah. that maybe it hadn't quite broken through here. Like to to see the WBC uh, ratings and see the WBC ratings even from previous years actually was really eye opening, um, mm-hmm. and to have that shared experience with international baseball uh, was was great. And so in some ways, the sport really did expand for us this year as well. 
Yeah. And and I think now everybody's really looking forward to three years from now. When, three years, two years from now? It's every three years? Yeah. It's it's not often enough. It's uh-huh. 2026, right, is the next one, I think. Yeah. But that was heartening. That was refreshing just to see the enthusiasm for baseball in other countries because it's just so often the story about baseball in the U.S. is – that it's dying, as you know, for, yeah. you know, more than a century, right? And that can, even if it's not true to the extent that people think it's true, it's still just, you you never hear anything other than that. And so to see that it's not just like doing well, but it's maybe like the most popular thing in other places, you know, that everyone is uh, using the toilet at the same time in Tokyo because it's an innings break in the WBC game, like that. That was nice to know that that is happening somewhere, at least. I think also it, uh, this was also a year where I became sort of more aware. I, I didn't become more aware, but people wrote about how ESPN in general was, in terms of its um, non-live broadcast programming, was focusing more on, a f- um, you know, a few a few big pundits. Like that was sort of one of the business stories of the year as ESPN was yeah. Um, yeah. putting a lot more behind like the sort of, yeah, Pat. McAfee, uh, mm-hmm. you know, baseball just isn't a, isn't really a topic on those shows, and so it further kind of created the sense that uh, baseball is siloed away from from the rest of sports uh, in a way. And mm-hmm. um, you know, another thing is that Hang Up and Listen mentioned the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift uh, as one of the sports stories of the year, which it undoubtedly mm-hmm. was, maybe maybe the biggest actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. from a crossover perspective. Um, and But even before that relationship, Travis Kelsey had seven national ad campaigns going. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey is a tight end on a, yeah. I mean, on a, he's a good one on a very good team, but a tight end in a Midwestern city. Yeah. Um, and he had seven national ad campaigns. You couldn't escape him. Um, whereas, can you think of seven national ad campaigns featuring baseball players? Uh, I can't think of any featuring non-Derek Jeter baseball yeah. players, mm-hmm. except for, I guess, Shohei Otani doing New Balance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And maybe is Clayton Kershaw still doing Hankook? <laughs> I don't know if that's still running. Yeah. I don't think that's still running. I think they got our notes about how the pitches were described weirdly, and they're like, we got to hang it up. It's mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Well, that aside, I think this was... Also a strange year in that the things that it's most likely to be remembered for were pretty easily identifiable as those things before the MLB season started because we knew the rules changes were coming and that those were going to be big in baseball circles at least. And we knew when the WBC breakout happened that that had happened. And we knew that the climax of the WBC was going to be almost impossible to top, which I think maybe you wrote at the time and we said at the time that that was just probably going to be the baseball highlight of the year, Otani versus Trout. And I think it was, I mean, not for Rangers fans, but for many other people at least. So I don't know how unusual that is. Presumably we're going to get robo zones in the next couple of years and that maybe will be the story of that year in baseball and we'll know that going in but it's probably not usually the case that we would know maybe just because there haven't really been big rules changes recently so just the fact that there were any we knew that was a big story and then the WBC happened before the MLB season started so I guess if you had asked us what the story of 2023 in baseball would be on April 1st we would have been just about as right probably as we are now I guess yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. So Otani, as you said, your theory is that superstars, legendary players tend to be associated with one season, and Otani has already had a few that he could have been associated with. I guess the case for this year is that A, it was his best season, B, it was the WBC season, so we finally got to see him play in meaningful games that were meaningful for reasons other than the fact that he was in them. And also he signed the big contract and also the weird, unusual contract, possibly precedent-setting contract, or maybe not, maybe unprecedented and will continue to be without precedent contract. So put all of those things together, and I guess that's a pretty good case that this will be the year that we think of. Plus, you mentioned the fact that he got hurt, right, which... Uh, to me, I think if he had not gotten hurt and if he had finished the season strong, then you could have had an even better case based on his on-field performance because he might have had, you know, best season since yeah. whenever as opposed yeah. to just most impressive season since whenever because he was on pace to get up into pretty rarefied territory where, war-wise where we could have said it was the most valuable season since whenever and, and he was sort of deprived of that. In July, I think he was on pace to have the second best season since Babe Ruth's record season. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that would have been uh, a whole different thing if he'd done that. And we also might have, I mean, I don't know. He probably wasn't a Cy Young contender if he'd been. Probably probably not. Probably not. not. But yeah. So the the fact that the season sort of ended – with a thud a little bit just because he wasn't pitching and I, I guess offensively like didn't quite keep up the home run pace that he had there for a while. That sort of sapped from it in that sense and like winning another unanimous MVP award, I guess is historically impressive, but maybe not quite as memorable as the first time he did it. So I don't, if it were purely the on-field performance aspect of things, I think maybe 2021 would still stand out as just the first time he put it all together and proved that it could be done in MLB. So I um, I have a question for, I guess I have a question for you, Meg, and for you, Ben, but I hear, you know, I have people who have uh, assignment editors, assigning editors. Uh, mm. I mean, all, all I heard this year was like how the thirst for Shohei Otani content was like nothing that, like like nothing that we've seen in baseball since, like maybe since, Barry Bonds was simultaneously breaking home run records and also uh, being indicted. Like that was the last time that the media was basically following a player the way that Shohei Otani was was this year, and that there would be like you know that the that the news meetings would basically just be like okay, what are the next ten Shohei Otani pieces? Meg, my question for you is: Did Shohei Otani pieces like kill numbers wise? Or did it just feel like we were supposed to be writing about him because that's everybody, what, what everybody was talking about? No, people really wanted to read about Otani. Um, those pieces did very well. I don't obsess over the page views for every piece that runs at Fangraphs, but one barometer that I use that I feel like is a pretty reliable indicator is like the, the trending player uh, list. If you go to like search um, 
for a player page or or the blog more generally. You know, like right now, people are really interested in Dylan Cease because like he might get traded and uh, Michael Brantley just retired and Harrison Bader just signed and Robbie Ray and DeScalfani and Hanager just got traded. So Luke Rayleigh too. So like, you know, they're, they, these are like the, the folks um, who our readers are searching for. And it could be a day that Otani wasn't scheduled to start and was like getting a random day off and he would almost always still be on the trending player page. Um, so people were just like, what's he up to? You know, what do his stats look like now? I think particularly before he got hurt and it, and it did seem like he might set new sort of war uh, milestones. People were just, they really wanted to know about him all, all day, every day, every day. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was artificial and people had, you know, our staff just like had new stuff to say about him. Yeah, uh, that's I didn't have I didn't have to prod people to write about Otani very much. People were just like, "Hey, you know who's really good? You know Otani. I'm gonna yeah. go see what I can say about him that's new." So I don't think anyone ever asked me to write about Otani because I was already yeah. writing about Otani. <laughs> so yeah, people, like, please people stop might, writing about Otani. <laughs> yeah, people might have yeah. checked in on Ben for other Otani related <laughs> reasons to be like, "Hey, so do we need to talk about this?" Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And Ben, yeah. I said I had a question for you too, but I was just trying mm-hmm. to include you in the conversation. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I initially I thought, well, maybe if he goes to the Dodgers and he gets in some postseason games and he has a big series or something, then that will be the year that we associate with Otani. But I don't know that that's true because actually when you cited the single seasons that we associate with a bunch of famous players, usually not because of postseason heroics. And I guess, you know, there was less postseason in most of those cases, but we don't remember Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams 1941 because of postseason or, you know, Henry Aaron 1974 because of postseason or Mike Trout 2012 because of postseason. Most of those, some of them maybe we do kind of Willie Mays 54, yeah. Bob Gibson 68, but yeah, that, that would have been memorable even regardless. Right. So it helps, I guess, but it's not a strong correlation. Probably the easy way though, for him to top himself. I mean, along those lines, if he simply has a better year than this one, right. uh, you know, he like, he doesn't necessarily have, if he hits 50 home runs, even 50, like, I mean, maybe he hits 60, but if he hits 50 home runs, then uh, maybe that's the number that elevates one season ahead of another. Certainly, I think if he wins a Cy Young, if he were ever to win a Cy Young. Yeah, that, if he won MVP would, and Cy Young yeah, as a two-way be, player, then yeah. I think that might do it. Because otherwise, it'd be pretty tough because I, I think he's raised expectations so much that just having another spectacular two-way season <laughs> would not be enough to move the needle. He's already done that. So I think probably the first time he did that and proved that he could do it would still be memorable for that reason. But yeah, the combination of WBC, the Trout showdown, the season he had, and as you said, like the wild stuff the Angels did to try to win and then immediately give up on winning, mostly because it was their last shot with Otani. And then the contract, you know, for all that to happen in the same year. The contract, I think, is potentially is a really big part of it. Um, Not just that he was a free agent and he monopolized the first couple months of the offseason and signed a big contract, but certain contracts, certain contracts really do kind of last for 
decades in people's imaginations. People remember, you know, Babe Ruth being paid more than the president, and they remember Alex Rodriguez. I mean, Alex Rodriguez, arguably the most memorable, newsworthy thing he did was sign that contract. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if Otani is the highest paid player in history for 20 years or 15 years like A-Rod was, then I think that actually is a kind of a permanent part of his story as well in a way that it's not necessarily for, you know, everybody who breaks the previous record. Yeah. So the other possibilities you mentioned, other than Otani, other than the rules changes, I guess, and the WBC and the climax of the WBC, which is uh, related to Otani, you mentioned some players possibly being banished forever from MLB, Julio Arias, Wander Franco, just the idea that you do something really bad, you might just go away and never be seen again, which remains to be seen, whether mm-hmm. they will be seen again. But that certainly is a, a change. I guess you could even say maybe MLB is kind of I don't know if you could say that it's leading the way there when it comes to like consequences for really long-term lasting, possibly permanent consequences for certain really heinous things. I mean, it feels like in some sports, football at least, like you can still kind of come back from that and it's getting increasingly difficult to come back from that seemingly in baseball. Famous last yeah. words, maybe. But another, hmm. yeah, we don't know how any of those three yeah. stories are going to end, so it's premature. But there, what I kind of maybe wish I'd said more succinctly is simply that the that the fresh start theory might have died, and mm. like there mm. used to be the the fresh start theory that like you know, well, obviously he can't play with us anymore because he just got arrested for doing something heinous. But we can trade him to another team where he'll have a fresh start. Yeah. And that was like obviously self-serving kind of nonsense. Like, I mean, how does getting traded and then immediately playing again represent a fresh start? It really right. is just like everybody wins kind of. Everybody in the transaction wins in their own way and it felt icky. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, we don't know. All three of those players, for all we know, could end up coming back and uh, it will um, necessitate like a lot of discourse in any case. But I don't get the feeling that there is like, I don't know. Again, we have small self-selected acquaintances, uh, but nobody is clamoring for the returns. I mean, I I don't know. It all it kind of feels like non-starters like for Bauer right now, even though he's like out trying to get yeah. to change public opinion. Like he's out, he's out now actively trying to change public opinion. And do you see yep. anybody? Uh, well, do you see anybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like every, you get a lot, I'm sure you get a lot of replies saying that he should come back and, but you know, like people aren't writing in fangraphs.com saying no. he'd, he'd be a great bargain pickup for the pirates. No, like no one is sh- saying that. No. And they're not, uh, they're not even pitching it, you know? Like, right. Exactly. Uh, like, no I'm one's not having, even pitching it. I'm yeah. not having to exercise editorial judgment on that one. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the, 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 the fresh start doctrine seems to maybe have expired, uh, yeah. in the, in the 20, 20 teens. Um, and this year was the year it really kind of became, possibly apparent in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned MLB taking over team broadcasts, which just mm. started, but 
it could gather steam. And if that's the beginning of uh, some sort of league-wide arrangement or the end of local blackouts or whatever it is, then we might look back at that if, if we come out on the other side of the cable bubble bursting and that's the new dominant model of sports broadcasting or baseball broadcasting, then maybe this was the harbinger of that. So that's that's possible. I think that's a good one because it probably wouldn't have even occurred to me. It wasn't – maybe it was a big story this year in sports business circles, but maybe not really beyond that. But it could have pretty big implications. Yep. And I said – Everything I know about it in two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And your personal ones were Mike Trout's decline and Clayton Kershaw's last postseason start, if it turns out to be his last postseason start, or I guess even more if it turns out to be his last start at all, which yeah. seems unlikely, hopefully, but could be until we see otherwise. If Trout bounces back and, yeah. and and some people are are probably saying this was the year you realized that Trout declined but but I was with you I think until this year because we hadn't seen him play and not be amazing so he had certainly declined in durability and availability and that matters a lot but every time he played he was roughly as productive as he'd been before until this year, and it was a different kind of production some years, and maybe a way that you thought, oh, this this might not work as well long term. But it was still like on a war per whatever basis. It was yeah. still amazing, and then this year it wasn't for the first time. So, if he does have another vintage Trout year, though, then I guess that erases this as the year that he declined. Does does that move it forward till the next year when he declines or will this still be the year that he declined in that way for the first time and you'll date it to then even if he has a, a bounce back for a while? Oh, yeah. Great question. Um, I think that uh, I will not remember this as the year that he declines if he bounces back. If he wins the MVP next year, I will forget this season ever happened. And mm -hmm. then the next time it happens, I don't think I will be as stunned or uh, yeah. troubled by it. I think uh, I will have, uh, I will have Hugh glassed it, you know, <laughs> I've already died. So that was a sad story though. That was certainly something we talked about a lot this yeah. year. Because yeah. we knew it was coming yeah. And, yeah. and tried to prepare ourselves for it. I think like uh, we had always said, you know, there well, will come a day, right? Talking when, about it since 2014. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. the, the when will he decline game has been like a <laughs> yeah. permanent part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And then it happened. Yeah. And then, yeah. I miss Mike Trout hypotheticals a lot. That's yeah. all I was going to say. Like, because yeah. so many of them were like, how do we make him worse? You know, like what what would we have to do to him? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. weird science would we have to perform <laughs> yeah. to like make him a lot worse? Like what if we only let him eat meat? And then people yeah. started doing that in real life. Not because of us, but like yeah, and probably not people who listen to the show, but people started doing that. Like, what if he only ate meat? Or like one time I wrote a piece, like, what if we filled all his pockets with coins and like, oh, a yeah. lot of coins? And like yeah. would that matter? Would he hurt himself sliding on the coins? You know, we like tried to make him worse. And at the end of that segment, we'd always go, ah, ha, ha. 
you know, mm-hmm. even though we yeah. knew it would come eventually. And so I miss, I miss those. They were fun on their own. And also, cause at the end we would always be like, buddy, Mike Trout, he's still great. Oh. Ah. oh my gosh. I just had the saddest thought. What if you start getting hypotheticals about what it would take to make Mike Trout the best player in the world again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like what yeah. oh, people are going to yeah. ask you, like, what if he had rocket boosters? What if he right. only had to run 74 feet between bases? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. How many feet, how many feet would you have to go right. down to for Mike Trout to be better than, uh, right. How much so HGH what? And, yeah, it would be like... How many it, coins would have to be in every other player's pockets? Right. How <laughs> much meat would they have to eat? How much... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We just... We get as many Otani questions as we ever got about trout now, yeah. but they're... What kind of questions do you get for Otani? What yeah. is the general nature of those questions? There's a lot of cloning involved. There's, some of <laughs> yeah. them have a lot to do with cloning. I think once... You know, Dolly died, like the sheep... Dolly the clone oh, sheep really? died. Mm. Yeah, I think the clone the clone died. I can't remember if it was the clone. <laughs> Dolly the sheep has to have been dead for a while, right? Like how long do sheep live? You know, uh, but like um yeah, or maybe the Dolly, scientist who cloned Dolly died. Dolly Someone died related to Dolly ago, died apparently. So <laughs> Someone in the Dolly orbit died. Wait, and so, so who died who died who who died who died younger? The, Dolly or, or, or the, the clone? Clone. Oh, hmm. I I mean probably the probably <laughs> Oh, I don't know. What a <laughs> Dolly cool. died at age six, less than half the lifespan her species can reach. Oh. There's oh, a no. pretty good chance that her clone outlived, outlived her. her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Did the she... scientist died. The scientist That's a died. Thing. And he lived a... to 79. I mean, yeah. he both. I was going to say, it makes yeah. a lot more sense that it was the scientist because, like, you know, Dolly, sheep are... <laughs> Do- this headline is Dolly the sheep died young. Her yeah. cloned sisters, uh. plural, are going strong. Oh, okay. okay. So well, this was in 2016. Right. But. So the scientist died this past year, right? In 2023? Yeah, or in 20- yeah. Recently died. Anyway, right. I clearly remember all the details very carefully. But I think that it created a vacuum in the in the clone space. People were like, oh, we got to talk about a different potential clone. <laughs> and so some of them are about, um, like, what, what if we cloned Otani? They also, like, assume that you can, like, age him up really fast. So there's some of that. We, we came up with a variety of secondary professions for Otani like what if he was he a already two- does two jobs right so, so yeah. it was a two-way two-way Otani um yeah I wanted to make him like a country lawyer oh um, yeah and yeah. I, I thought that'd be a great show like a you country know, like but is he a big city lawyer who ends up in the country that was one of the <laughs> the possibilities yeah like he he tires of his so I guess I really made a show about him having to commute was uh-huh. what I designed without thinking about it. You know, it was the writer's strike for everybody, I guess. But um, a lot of them are about that. Like, what if we made him do a different thing in addition to the thing, the two things he already does? And w- how good would he be? And what would be the most natural two-way, two-way Otani? A lot of mm-hmm. them are about about that, you know. Um, we had one about, like, uh, what if somebody looked like him but wasn't a baseball player? Like, could it be useful in some way? I think we had one like that, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, we've had them all. I don't. I mean, he's. <laughs> all. You say that, <laughs> but we're gonna keep getting emails. That sounds so. like a challenge that you. Yeah, don't what are you issue. doing, dude? He's just such a human hypothetical that I I enjoy talking about Shohei Otani, as people are aware, and we get lots of good what? questions about him. But uh, but it's I don't know. It's a little less fun, maybe just because yeah. Mike Trout was so good, but he wasn't really 
good in an unusual way. I mean, he just did all the things really well. It was like a blank a, canvas to put stuff yeah. on. Yeah. And he kept getting better at things, but they were like normal things for a baseball player to do, as opposed to Otani, who's off on his own island doing things that other baseball players don't even attempt to do. So he was, yeah. he's like already, you know, it, the hypo, the reality of Otani is the, the hypothetical, basically. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. he's post-fun fact now, as I mm-hmm. think you wrote. I think we said, you know, I don't need Otani fun facts anymore because uh, he just, you know, he is them. So I wrote that. Maybe you quoted me saying that. I, I think know. I quoted you <laughs> saying that. Well, you wrote it technically oh, in no. a way. I think the only other possibility you mentioned, which is related to the rules changes, is the, the stolen bases, but specifically Acuna's 4070, yeah. which was probably the most visible single effect of the rules changes you you actually said that you you think it's more likely that the stolen bases will decrease than that they will increase and i would have said the opposite i think i might still say the opposite um and yeah you made a good point which is that it didn't really increase over the course of the season except for september i guess you said was yeah. there was more stealing more running than there had been but generally the rate sort of stabilized very early on in the season i would think that it would increase i mean it should increase right because the success rate is too high it's over 80% like they should probably be running more and the, the long-term trend is toward less stealing, which is why we had these rules changes in the first place. So you might say that it'll just the, – the decline will continue now from a higher baseline. But I wonder whether there was just some resistance to overcome like in the John Lester situation where people didn't really take advantage of it because it was like, uh, can we really get away with this? I don't know. Yeah. And they just yeah. didn't really push the envelope. Maybe there will be something similar where season two, everyone will actually run more, maybe? Yeah, it's conceivable. I'm not ruling it out. And as as I, as I you noted, I noted September was the, the highest month. Uh, but within, I would say, basically within normal, within normal range of the monthly fluctuation, I think that a big part of the reason that people don't steal anymore uh, is not just the run expectation matrix. I think that's what sort of started the downward trend. And it's probably the largest driver over the course of several decades that like for a long time, uh, it was seen that giving away uh, an out was too costly. So it's not worth it. Uh, but I think that there's now a lot more of just like, it's not worth it because it hurts you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, right. it is ti- it is tiring. It is burdensome. Uh, and you can get injured. I wrote this piece about Trey Turner, when I guess when he had, he still had his consecutive caught stealings without, uh, or consecutive stolen bases without a caught stealing streak intact. And I wrote that, you know, if he wanted to, he could probably, like, he's so much faster than Ronald Acuna. Like, he's just so much faster. And he never gets caught. And obviously, the math would say he should run more often and kind of sometimes get caught that there's like stolen bases he's leaving on the 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 table. But it kind of sucks running like it hurts you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was somewhat of a factor in Mike Trout going from like a, a very prolific base stealer to not stealing at all. And I think that is more common than we realize. And it's like um, a joint issue. They're like, ouch, my joints. Yeah, the, their joints yeah. do get 
hurt. Yeah, like yeah. sliding, sliding gets hurty. And yeah. they even complain about the tags, you know, like yeah. I, I get tagged so hard. Yeah. And so I think that there just isn't really that much desire. I mean, what we saw with Acuna this year, because again, like the key thing with Acuna is that he's not that fast. He's mm-hmm. fast, right. but he's way slower than the elite speed in the league. There's like 70 players faster than him uh, or something like that. Uh, but he decided he really wanted to do it. And I think that lots of guys right now, if they wanted to do it, could steal way more bags. And the fact that they aren't doing it isn't because uh, they don't see the value in it. I think it's that they see the cost in it and they've made that choice already. And like I said, they did not really increase as the year went on. They had the stolen bases they wanted to take pretty much in mind right away and they took yeah. those throughout the year and they didn't go any further. And by the way, with John Lester, we assumed that they were being shy about exposing John Lester, but as the years went on, it turned out that John Lester could keep them from running. He could yeah. stare at them and do yeah. a sidestep and or it David was really Russ hard. Could, to, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um so we assumed that anybody could steal at any time against John Lester and and why aren't they? But in fact, we were wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah, I I noted on the last pot of last year that C.J. Abrams, just in the middle of the season, suddenly started stealing a ton. He hadn't stolen that much. And then from like early July on, he stole the most bases in the majors by a lot. Presumably, he didn't suddenly get a lot faster. He must have just decided to do that. So clearly, that wasn't happening on a league-wide level, really. But I I wonder whether some other people will make that decision or flip that switch because Cunha certainly got a lot of attention and people celebrated that and it became a sensational thing that he stole all those bases. I wonder whether other players will want some of that glory for themselves or, as you said, maybe the wear and tear will outweigh that. But. and one one point in your uh, to in support of your idea that it might go up is that at least anecdotally stolen bases were a bigger deal in October, um, and of course the narrative about like the running D backs was a big part of October. I don't know. It could be that stolen bases will just become a bigger deal in high leverage situations, or it could be that the Diamondbacks have some influence across the league and that people show up in March saying that they're going to do what the Diamondbacks did and prioritize athleticism and, and running and stuff. So yeah. I wouldn't rule it out, but should we do a real quick, a real quick three, uh, one, one item draft uh, sure. where we sure. each draft? Okay. So we're going to draft stolen bases per <laughs> game, 2024 season. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, and so last year it was 0.72. And I think, I think the last, I think in 2022, it was like 0.51, something like that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 0.51. That's right. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's go. Uh, uh, Ben, since you're so (laughs) agitated about this topic, um, you pick first. Stolen base bullish. So uh, I'll say, say 0.8 per game. 0.8. Whoa. That's a biggie. I'm going to do. 0.75. 0.75. Uh, okay, and I'm going to say 0.71. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I think, if I remember right, the, the stolen bases weren't really up in October. Everyone thought they were going to be, and then people talked about them as if they were, but they weren't really. Or mm-hmm. it became a, like people associated it with the Diamondbacks, but other than the Diamondbacks, not that many other teams were really running that much, but they were successful, so it stood out. But And they didn't run as much as we thought they would. 
Lastly, I asked the audience if they had any other suggestions for things that could potentially be the baseball story of 2023 that we remember. There were a few possibilities, I think. So some people mentioned, and I would have suggested this myself, if not for one thing, the fact that it was the year that a lot of teams spent and tried to win and spectacularly flamed out, right? That was the last thing I deleted was the Mets. Yeah, the Mets, the Padres. The Padres too. I just, if the Rangers hadn't won the World Series, then I I think that might've been a possibility. But because they did, I think that kind of erases that to some extent. But yeah, that's a possibility. Someone mentioned, uh, Scott, I think, mentioned, this might have been the best suggestion, the unionization of the minor leagues. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a good one. I, was that yeah. this year? That Man. was, yeah, that was 2023. Yeah. They turned that around quick. It happened so quickly. That was yeah. sort of su- a surprise. So that's, I mean, that's a sea change when it comes to minor leaguers. I don't know how huge the ramifications will be, like, for the average baseball fan long term. It's it's a pretty big deal in terms of, like, the business of baseball. So maybe, maybe that. Some people mention the Braves' historic offense, which, you know, I mean, it it was a really great offense, but— I don't think it uh, outweighs the other things. And, yeah, and, didn't get there. Didn't get there. Yeah. It, again, if they had won the World Series or something and, and mashed all the way there, maybe, but that didn't happen. There were others that were like big stories for a while, but just didn't have the staying power, like Luisa Rise and the 400 chase. I mean, it was fun that there was a 400 chase that yeah. even rose to the level of like even remote plausibility that we would even bother to talk about it anymore which I think you wrote about, right? Like, just you were surprised that it was even a story, like, that we... Me? Yeah. I wrote about it? I about. Think, <laughs> I'm remembering a lot of things that either I wrote or you wrote about I, me writing about. I did about. write about <laughs> Luis Arai's 400 chase. It was the fact that he kept falling off the pace, but then kept coming back, right? Like, yeah. It yeah. is the worst piece I wrote, though. So, uh, <laughs> okay. I did not... I had a point that I wanted to make, and I did not convey it. And every time I'm... I was thinking about it, that piece I wrote in my head while I was shooting free throws, which I was doing every day for a while until I got so good at shooting free throws that I didn't have to practice anymore. Oh, boy. Uh, but every so often I will stu- still shoot free throws. And every time I do, I have this association with that article and I think about it and I uh, stew in regret that I did not uh, get my point across. Uh, so thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> well. I didn't know that it was a failure of a piece, so there's that, I guess. Um, I was about to say it is better to have written and stewed than to never have written at all, which is where I felt like I landed last year. <laughs> How many pieces did you write last year, Meg? <laughs> oh, God, I don't even know. <laughs> like, fewer than 10. Fewer than 10. Do you miss it, or are you just yeah. like, oh. Yeah, but the muscles atrophied in a way that I have, like, really intense anxiety about trying again. So it's like a whole thing that we could do a separate hour on, or maybe I should just call you. But, yeah, it's like a whole thing right now. Yeah. Well, if you ever want to um, bounce an outline off Thank me. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate happy that. To sh- shoot some free throws. Maybe that'll help. Yeah, maybe I should. Yeah. Uh, someone else mentioned possibly the start of something we don't know yet, <laughs> which, yes, that's possible, but specifically like the Orioles becoming mm. dominant or Corbin Carroll becoming baseball's best player. Or, yeah, you you know, I guess you could say that about almost any year that we just don't know yet. But uh, yeah, maybe one of those. And another one, Louis Paulus uh, suggested, and I think he also just wrote about 
that it was a big year for the MLB non-player labor market, specifically Craig Council, David Stearns, oh, yeah. like yeah. S- yeah. salary yeah. scales for managers and executives. That's so, a good one. Yeah. yeah. And that they let their contracts expire so they could become free agents uh, in order to maximize their earnings. And then also someone mentioned just the Oakland mess, which was certainly one of the stories of the year. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I thought about it, but they're moving in like four years, right? Right. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that anybody in 2067 is going to be paying that much attention to the uh, like 19th out of 23-year <laughs> Oakland A's relocation saga, even if to us it was like a year where there were lots of uh, startling new developments. Yeah, I guess it was the year when the die was cast, kind of, except that it's like still not (laughs) totally seemingly. But yeah, I guess you could date it to other years, too, if you were talking about when did this start or it's been going on for decades in some way. But yeah, that was one of the biggest stories of the year in baseball without maybe being the thing that we remember this year for. So those were some good suggestions. But yeah, I don't I don't think they overcome the pretty obvious ones, which I think were probably the answers. So yeah, yeah. I want to ask one more question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always try to think, is there one play, one one highlight or blooper that will live forever? And I don't think there was. How uh, You know, the, the play is Otani striking out right. Trout. I mean, yeah. that's the that's yeah. the visual. Um, yeah. But I was trying to think of like bloopers or, or, or highlight catch. Um, and it's obviously not, it's not this. I didn't even mention it. It's not this. I'm not, don't think I'm suggesting this. <laughs> as I have a follow-up question. So, but the catch that I will remember the year for is Hunter Renfro's yeah. uh, back. So- how many times would you guess that we you will see that catch uh, mm. for the rest of your life? And what year will be the last year? Like, will it be repeated this year? Mm. Will is it is it already dead, or will we be seeing that catch in some way or another periodically for thirty years? I feel like I didn't see it that much even this year after it happened. It was big when it happened. Yeah, but I I don't feel like I've been constantly seeing it since. I think that if you live, he signed with the Royals, right, Renfro? He's now yeah. Kansas City Royal. I bet in the in the Kansas City media market, you'll see it a bunch of times this year because it'll be a highlight that they show uh, in the beginning of the season, in particular, to be like, "Ah, Hunter Renfro, he's a Royal now, not Mike Trout." You're confused, but <laughs> looks like the same thumb. Um, yeah, but I don't. I wonder if that one will have longevity i think it really will depend if he ends up on a team in the future that is a playoff team you know and then does something similar that's where you get repeats maybe and mm-hmm. i guess if you're right about the the baseball monoculture conversation that we had to start this then maybe you can't make bloopers that mm-hmm. have that memorability anymore because you used to encounter baseball bloopers not just in baseball context, right? You would, I mean, sure. you'd, you know, this week in baseball or whatever, you see right. them on the Jumbotron, but you'd also see them on ESPN or wherever else. And and on social media, you still see them sometimes, but maybe, maybe it's tough to make baseball highlights that have the same enduring appeal that they used to. Yeah. When I wrote about the Kevin Mitchell barehanded catch mm-hmm. uh, from the 80s, it was not just on sports stations, but it was like on like Nightline. Like that's yeah. how that's what baseball used to be like. Right. 
yeah, I can't think of anything else from this year except, uh, like, I guess there was that weird Giants Dodgers play that lasted for a really long time with the oh the, yeah the Where infield pop up in the, yeah with the the Mookie play and the John Miller con- the Jacob Junis one where he threw it into the outfield and then somehow no one scored or it, right. it just it went on oh. and on and on so thinking of different ones oh wow. <laughs> well that was one but wasn't there one where it like bounced along the 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 outfield wall or something oh yeah there was there was the one. Where yeah. it, it, it like skated along the it top like of the wall. It like skittered along the top of the wall. Yeah. Yeah. That Is was... that what you're talking about? <laughs> no. but Oh, but that... I remember that play. I mean, clearly not very well, but <laughs> enough to go. Do you mean that thing? Yeah, that happened yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. Actually, Luke Rayleigh hit that if we're thinking of the same play. Man of the hour. Mm. Well, hopefully we touched on all the possibilities here. And uh, people from the future who are listening to this in 2033 are not laughing at us now for our lack of foresight. But mm. always enjoy that piece and the ruminations about baseball's uh, decreasing significance in our culture, <laughs> which is mildly depressing. But yeah. <laughs> so go, I feel, yeah. you know, when I, I don't feel like it's a bad thing. So, so mm-hmm. if people read it and think that I'm like adding to the defeatism, mm-hmm. I don't consider it a bad thing. It just is a, it is a fact of, Mm-hmm. of life it's okay we're like the sport is great there's no need to like wish it were something else in my opinion i mean you could and like it maybe it will someday be something else who knows who cares it's great yeah it, <laughs> <laughs> right and it's it, we're not in danger of uh getting to the threshold where not enough people care for us to care probably so as you said i mean there are hundreds of millions of people yeah. who really love baseball across the world so i i said nice things about jake paul earlier being affable and all that i just i don't aspire for my sport to be jake paul it's right. great that it is what it is instead yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay well also great is pebble hunting the substack which you can find at pebblehunting.substack.com. If you have somehow missed it to this point, you've got a big back catalog to catch up on. Go read everything except the Louisa Rice post, I guess. You can skip that one. But Sam basically wrote a book about fun facts that was contained within this newsletter. But I don't ever know whether to call it a newsletter anymore. You weren't really breaking news in here. But whatever you call it, it's a substack. It's its own thing. It's a subscription-based baseball writing center. <laughs> go, go, go find it at pebblehunting.substack.com. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome. All right, that will do it for today and for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. By the way, one aspect of the Chris Sale extension that we didn't discuss on our last episode, this is the new deal with Atlanta that's going to pay him $38 million over the next couple of years, $17 million of which is coming from the Red Sox. There's also a club option for 2026. As we noted, Atlanta has some rotation uncertainty beyond 2024. Maybe they believe in Sale. Maybe they want to make him happy. Maybe he got some assurances when he was traded and waived his no-trade clause. But this matters, too. I'll quote from MLB Trade Rumors, there's also the competitive balance tax to consider. Under the current collective bargaining agreement, a player's CBT hit is recalculated when he is traded to reflect what remains of the contract. 
That means that sale was going to have a 27.5 million CBT hit prior to this deal, with the Sox absorbing 17 million of that, but that will now drop to 19 million, leaving just 2 million on Atlanta's CBT ledger this year, but 19 million next year. Going into today, the club's CBT figure was at 276 million per roster resource. That's right against the third tax threshold of 277 million, which is a notable line to cross. By lowering sales CBT hit, the club will have a bit more breathing room to make more moves either now or during the season. And of course, a bit less breathing room the following season, but they'll have some other salaries off the books. They can cross that bridge when they come to it. And in the meantime, the Atlanta Braves Foundation gets that sweet 1% cut. Love to leave you for the week with some sexy CBT talk. So there you go. And if you want to help ensure our financial security the way Atlanta did with Chris Sale, but maybe a little less lucratively, though that's up to you, you can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Brandon Weaver, Colin Sanders, Bench, Kyle W., and Ryan Young. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only, access to monthly bonus episodes and playoff live streams, prioritized email answers, discounts on merch and ad-free fancrafts memberships, and so much more. Signed books, potential podcast appearances, podcast shoutouts. Check out all the offerings at patreon.com slash effectivelywild. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can message us through the Patreon site, but one way or another, you can contact us via email at podcast at fangraphs.com. Send your questions and comments there. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back to talk to you early next week. Oh,